Hey, welcome to the Therapy Thoughts Podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a licensed clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher. I own Mindful Counseling in Orem, Utah, and I'm on a mission to break down mental health stigma. Therapy Thoughts is a podcast all about helping you love yourself and make peace with your mind, body, and food. I'll share some education, tips, interviews, and tools from my clinical experience so you can improve your mental health. Stay tuned as we change the mental health game and talk all about therapy. What's up, my friends? T. Rowe here. We are talking all things anxiety today. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. I hope to address some common concerns and questions I get all about anxiety. So let me point out a couple things to help educate you as this is the first step towards facing your anxiety and learning how to manage it. So worry, anxiety, and fear are three different things. Anxiety is an emotional state. So when I talk about emotion, I'm talking about a feeling state. When you identify emotions, it's usually an interpretation of sensations in your body, uh, you know, energy that's moving through you. So anxiety is an emotional state. It occurs as a threatening event draws near. So think about, you know, public speaking. As you are approaching the speaking opportunity, you might have this emotional state flare up. That's anxiety. Anxiety has three key parts, okay? We have physical feelings, we have thoughts, and we have behaviors. Now, these three parts actually often occur in a sequence. So think about this. This emotional state of anxiety has these three parts, physical feelings. So what does what does your body experience as you have anxiety? What kind of physical sensations come up for you? Uh, typically, there's you know tightness in your chest. Maybe you have a knot or butterflies in your tummy. That's the physical feelings. We then have a response to those feelings in our body. Those sensations create a thought pattern. So think of the thoughts you have in response to that. If your chest is getting super tight because you're supposed to speak, what are the thoughts you have about those sensations? Maybe like, what if people think I'm stupid? Oh no, I have anxiety, I'm going to stutter. Um, holy crap, I'm having a hard time breathing. Am I going to pass out? So the physical feelings in your body create these thoughts. And then we have these behaviors. I mean, I'm just talking about anxiety, one component right now. So the behaviors might be uh, pacing, biting your nails, going back and forth uh, in your mind. All of these things are just a part of anxiety. Worry is a separate component, okay? So worry is largely a cognitive or thinking concept. And it refers to concerns about possible future threats. So worry is the cognitive part. It's all of this thinking so when someone says, oh, I'm worried about this or I'm worried about that, that really just says, hey, I'm thinking about all of this stuff. And it's thinking about stuff that is a possible future threat. So if you are worrying, you are future tripping. You're tripping out about stuff that may or may not come to pass and the likelihood is it won't come to pass. And that's worry. Thinking, thinking about future events, possible outcomes, um, and something I always say is worry feels like we 
are uh, doing something about our anxieties. If I worry about this situation, if I think about it over and over, it gives us a false sense of control. It gives us a false sense of doing something about the problem or fear that we have. Um, And I've noticed this just in my years of being a, a therapist that if we are worrying and thinking, it feels like we're getting something done. And so let me say that that is not true that by obsessively thinking or worrying or wondering and future tripping, it actually doesn't do anything to address the problem. Now, me pointing that out doesn't eliminate your tendency to worry. However, I hope the education of this will help you kind of sift apart your anxiety and maybe get empowered and to have some choice in how you face it. And maybe even if you have this insight, you can then move forward with some different behaviors. So if you can catch yourself future tripping and worrying and noticing, hey, that doesn't actually do anything about my concerns, you'll be able to pause and step in. The third component is fear. So we have anxiety, which is the emotional state, worry, which is the cognitive thinking component, and then fear, which is an intense emotional state when there is an actual threat. Anxiety is an emotional state when a threatening event is drawing near or is going to potentially happen. It's future-oriented. Fear means there is imminent, actual danger. It is actually occurring. Holy crap, I'm about to rear in this car. It's actually happening. Whereas anxiety is like I'm sitting at home eating dinner and I'm worrying and tripping out about, you know, am I going to hit a car today? Fear is, shoot, man, I'm about to hit this car. So worry, anxiety, and fear. Three separate things, and they may become severe enough and lead to an anxiety disorder. Whenever I think about a disorder or a mental illness, I want you to think about a spectrum of severity. Every single human knows what it's like to experience anxiety because anxiety is a normal emotion. It's part of being human. If you have anxiety, it means you are alive. Um, So everyone knows what that emotional state is like. However, you may cross the threshold of, you know, normal emotional experience, normal human experience of anxiety, and you may cross this, this line into disorder. And how we define that in the mental health world uh, is pretty simple. We actually just say there are a few things to define if it becomes a disorder or not. One, does it deviate from the norm? If we say most people have anxiety, most everyone has felt anxiety. Everyone has felt anxiety. So that's normal. At what point does your anxiety deviate from the norm? Is it what most people are experiencing? Now, we can try to do this, you know, statistically using a bell curve. I'm not going to get into that because you're listening to a podcast. You don't care about that. But an easy way to to consider this is, is, you know, are most people around me experiencing the same amount of anxiety as I am? Are they scared to drive on the freeway? Um, You know, do they vomit before public speaking? Um, Do they have a hard time getting out of bed and functioning at work because their worries are so heavy? This is just a couple of examples I'm freestyling. But that's one way we would measure, is my anxiety more than just, you know, the normal worry and the normal fears of being a human? And does it, does it cross the line into disorder? So one way we measure that is deviance from the norm. Another way we measure that is, do, does your anxiety cause you difficulty in adapting to life's demands? 
So like the the behaviors I have in response to my anxiety, are they interfering with my day-to-day life? Can I function? Or does it does it interfere with work and relationships um, and, and with just my normal life? And if it does, that might be indicative of a mental disorder. And another key way we determine if your anxiety is, you know, beyond just the normal amount of anxiety is does it give you a lot of distress? Do you experience personal distress because of the anxiety and the worry? So these are three ways we determine if what you are experiencing is a disorder. Um, Does it, you know, match what everyone else is going through? So let me tell you a couple more things about anxiety. I'm not going to go over all the disorders that fall under the anxiety umbrella. I will say quickly, you know, panic attack, panic disorder, social phobia, specific phobias, um, generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, post-traumatic disorder, um, sorry, post-traumatic stress disorder and acute stress disorders. Those are all anxiety disorders. And for the sake of this podcast today, I'm not going to break down each of those. Uh, maybe I'll do that in the future. But let me tell you just a little bit more about anxiety in general. Um, if you do have an anxiety disorder, I want you to find, to know that these are pretty common. Um, and they're going to affect close to 30% of Americans at some point in their life. Um, and if we looked at the past year close to 20% of us will be experiencing an anxiety disorder. The most common anxiety disorders are social um, anxiety and specific phobias. When I say specific phobias, it's like I have a spider phobia or a needle phobia, right? So those are actually the most common types of anxiety disorders, and those affect about one in eight people. So you know someone who has some social anxiety, and you know someone who has a phobia. I mean, that's one in eight people. That's super-duper common. Um, also anxiety disorders in general are one of the most prevalent types of mental disorder. So I just think it's so interesting that we still have this strange stigma around mental health or mental illness when it is part of being human. That's a large portion of people who will have their anxiety enter, you know, a severe to moderate level of distress, or, you know, they may even qualify for disorder during their life, um, Most of us, like I said, many people experience symptoms of anxiety-related disorders, um, but it doesn't necessarily rise to the level of a formal diagnosis. Um, Also, a lot of people are going to have anxiety-related symptoms, and it doesn't mean that they get treatment. So that kind of screws up our ability to get like really accurate measures because so many people just would kind of say, oh, this must be normal or they, you know, succumb to the stigma around mental health. Um, We do know a couple things that anxiety disorders are more common among females than males. Uh, We also know that anxiety-related disorders are prevalent in certain countries compared to other countries. So like in the U.S., um, New Zealand, France, Colombia, those are a couple places where we have higher rates of anxiety disorders. Interesting stuff. Anxiety disorders are also, they tend to team up. We call it comorbidity. They're co-occurring. They, they team up and tend to show up with other disorders. Um, so if you have an anxiety disorder, it is usually going to couple with something like a substance use disorder, 
Um, it can also be highly co-occurring um, with, with alcohol use, um, depression, stuff like that. You might be able to hear my dogs wrestling in the background. Sorry about that. <laughs> Let me tell you about some of the stigma around anxiety. So stigma means, you know, we characterize people with disgrace or reproach based on a characteristic. And this is far, far too common with mental illness. And I'm talking about anxiety, which is pretty common, and I would say less stigmatized than a lot of disorders. But people with anxiety disorders still face mental health stigma. And because of that, they're less likely to admit that they have a problem and that they want to seek treatment. Um, so I have some survey research results here that reveal a substantial percentage of people feel that um, if you have generalized anxiety disorder, you're quote unquote unstable. It's 16 and a half percent of people who took the survey said that. Um, also, folks with generalized anxiety disorder, uh, some of the stigma would say, you know, generally people don't think it's a real quote unquote real mental disorder. That's 13 percent. Uh, the survey also revealed that people with anxiety-related disorders may not be re re suitable employees. That was 7% of the people who took the survey said that. 6% uh, of the sur survey folks said that they were self-centered. And 6% said that if you have an anxiety-related disorder, that's a sign of personal weakness. So, uh, cool super ignorant survey takers. And let me say this, I have generalized anxiety disorder. I'm a worry wart. That's what that means to me. I worry about stuff. Um, it's easy for me to future trip. Um, and this, I think, is definitely connected to a lot of people who have a history of an eating disorder or an active eating disorder. We tend to have co-occurring anxiety. So I'm just going to challenge the stigma that says, you know, if you deal with anxiety, that means you're unstable or it's not a real disorder, or you're not a suitable employee, or you're self-centered. I don't agree with any of that. Um, and the evidence is in my success, uh, my relationships, uh, my ability to be, you know, an active, engaged mom and sister and friend. So I challenge the stigma, and I stand here as someone who wants to be transparent and say, hey, you can deal with an anxiety disorder, and it doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're unstable. It doesn't mean you're not suitable for the workplace. Um, these, these stigmas, these, uh, this disgrace that is put upon people with mental illness is just really reflective upon the, the, uh, ignorance of people in our society. It is not reflective of truth about those of us who deal with anxiety. So I stand with you if you face anxiety. Like I said, every single person experiences anxiety. And if you experience it at times to a level that is severe or moderate, you're not alone and nothing's wrong with you. And I want to back this up further that there is a biological factor to anxiety that you have no control over. Uh, we see that family and twin studies indicate that anxiety disorders have a, a genetic basis. So if you have a relative with anxiety, a first degree relative, um, let's say specifically panic disorder, they have like panic attacks. So let's say that's your first degree relative that you are three to 21 times more likely to have a panic disorder yourself. That's just pure genetics. That's the stuff you inherit when you were born. You didn't get to choose that, right? 
Uh, we also know that social phobia is more common in close family relatives compared to like control studies. We also know that phobias run in families. Um, generalized anxiety disorder also seems to run in families and it occurs in about 20% of first degree relatives. And I could go on and on. This is true for obsessive compulsive disorder. Um, we've also seen some genetic influences for symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I think that's fascinating. Um, they're modest influence, but they are there. We also know there are brain features. Most of us have heard about the amygdala. The amygdala is a brain area that's long associated with your fearful, fearful responses. Um, so there are key changes in the amygdala that are related to over-arousal and excessive startle responses. I'm talking about genetics and the, the way your brain functions. So it's really unfortunate that there's any stigma associated to uh, anxiety or any mental illness because, again, this is just a natural part of being a human. Mental illness, mental health is no different than physical illness or physical health. Uh, we, you know, we inherit some parts of it, our environment creates some parts of it. And so I just stand with you, one, to try to educate you on components of anxiety and anxiety disorders and to back up the fact that the stigma is just is reflective of lack of education, ignorance, and it's just based in, you know, weird societal trends um, and traditions, so I'm here telling you there's brain features, there's genetics, there's neurochemical features. So you're going to have changes in your serotonin levels. And that is very commonly found in people with anxiety disorders. Um, norepinephrine, another neurochemical feature. I hope I'm not getting, you know, too deep into this, but I just want to show you that nothing's wrong with you despite the stigma that you may face, or you may have picked up on. There are a ton of environmental risk factors as well. Tons of cognitive risk factors. The way you think is going to increase the likelihood of having an anxiety disorder or dealing with, you know, higher levels of anxiety. Let me say this. Just because you may have a genetic predisposition or vulnerability to anxiety doesn't mean you're going to have it. So maybe your brother, sister, your mom, your dad, or first degree relatives have anxiety. It doesn't mean you will. But there's always this kind of cocktail dance between biology and genetics with your environment. So if you have a genetic predisposition, you throw in some funky environmental factors and that may be what triggers your anxiety. So that can really explain why, you know, people in the same family um, don't all have the same disorders. Um, some might have them, some might not. I could spend a whole uh, podcast describing the interaction of genetics and environment. And I may, I may do that. But just, just to point out, Genetics aren't the whole story. You have to have environmental factors as well. And cognitive, you know, components, the ways you think um, are a component in that. Uh, family factors. Family-based contributions to anxiety-related disorders are important as well. So parents of anxious kids, they might be over-controlling. They may not give as much affection. They might be overprotective or rejecting or demanding. Um, also parents of anxious kids, they tend to overemphasize opinions, um, and they tend to over, overemphasize opinions and the negative evaluations from other people, you know, cause they're super sensitive to the fact that their kid's pretty anxious. So that's another thing. How does your family treat you because of anxiety? Um, your learning experiences, cultural factors, these all play into how anxiety is going to manifest.
we know we know a lot about anxiety. There's also a lot we don't know. What I can tell you is it's a blend of biology. It's a blend of psychology. Um, there's always this this nature and nurture, biology and environment, you know, combo meal. So how do we prevent this? Um, this can start with kids wanting to teach them the difference between dangerous and non-dangerous situations. One of my biggest ideas is teaching kids that it's okay to feel their emotions, teaching them anxiety is normal, teaching them those bodily sensations like, yo, what are you feeling in your body? Oh yeah, butterflies in your tummy? Hey, that's anxiety and here's a coping skill. I think one problem with my idea is not everyone as adults knows how to deal with anxiety, so it's tough for us to teach our kids. But um, that's one way to prevent. Teach your kids, teach them to keep their cool, to, to learn their thoughts, to breathe, to relax, to notice when they're worrying, and then let's fast forward and apply that to adulthood. Other things, biological treatments of anxiety, anti-anxiety medication has become the leading method of treatment. Um, benzodiazepines, stuff like Xanax and Clonopin and Ativan, um, that's a particular class of anti-anxiety drugs, and it's going to produce a really sedating effect. They are highly addictive. Um, I believe they were created for use of short-term use in response to seizures, and now they're often abused over long periods of time, years on end, um, and you build a dependence and tolerance to those medications pretty quick. Those are different than things like SSRIs, like uh, Prozac and Zoloft. Um, you don't deal with the same like dependency issues as you would with like a benzodiazepine. I digress. Drug treatment is effective for 60 to 80% of adults with anxiety disorders. So super duper effective. Antidepressants and other drugs, um, they can moderate the serotonin levels in the brain, um, and they can really help. There's a ton of psychological treatments for anxiety. Psychoeducation. Um, an important first step is listening to this podcast. You getting educate, educated about the three components of anxiety and how those components relate um, how do you manage worry and fear? Um, how do you manage anxiety? Uh, another important component that you would learn in, you know, therapy or through my classes or through a podcast like this, learning relaxation training, learning breathing, learning how to relax your body, because that is, that is so important when we face anxiety. How do I calm myself down and feel safe in my body? Uh, cognitive therapy, exposure therapy, mindfulness is another great way to deal with anxiety, learning how to just be right here right now. Because remember, anxiety's future tripping. I'm worried and feeling about something that is going to happen. And so coming back to right here right now, uh, check out that podcast episode I did on mindfulness it talks all about being in this present moment. So um, that's all I'm going to share today for anxiety. If you want more, come check me out on Instagram. I post, you know, little therapy thoughts every day. Uh, and you can follow me at Mindful Counseling. That's my handle, at Mindful Counseling. I also do in-depth courses. One hour long, just a video course, uh, giving you a crash course like this in a topic. Um, go check me out at mindfulcounselingschool.com. I have a mindfulness course, a course on self-care, intuitive eating, body image, 
perfectionism and self-love, head over there, uh, check it out. I think a course that you might be most interested in if you like this podcast is my emotional regulation course. It will dive deep for one hour into ways to cope with anxiety specifically. So check it out, my friends. It's 50 bucks over on mindfulcounselingschool.com. All right, my friends, I hope you enjoyed this. Go ahead and leave a review, subscribe to Therapy Thoughts, and until next time, may you be well. I appreciate you tuning in and supporting the Therapy Thoughts podcast. If you want to dive deeper into intuitive eating and body image and self-love, head over to tiffanyrow.com. It's the hub of all of my courses, the podcast, my merch, and information about doing counseling and coaching with me. I hope you guys stick around for more. We have lots of exciting interviews and thought leaders coming onto the podcast. So until next time, may you be well.